Hello and welcome back to Photo Posting with me, Josie Purcell. I'm an eco-conscious photographic artist and this podcast is all about sharing eco-conscious photography in an audio way. I'm incredibly fortunate to speak with other photographers worldwide about their work and how it considers myriad environmental issues and circumstances. This time, I'm joined by Shroyan Mukherjee, who is based in Calcutta, India, and I adore his interest in taking everyday household items that would normally be thrown away and turning them into pinhole cameras. We also chat about water resources, vintage cameras, Shroyan's written work for two online photo websites, and even an interest in beekeeping. Let's jump on in. Well, I'm really, really pleased um, to be speaking to um, a photographer who's based in India, in Calcutta, and it's Shroyan um, Mukherjee. And it's a very, very warm welcome to you, Shroyan, for, for taking the time to have a chat with me on the Photo Posting podcast. Um, warm welcome to you. Thank you, Josie. Thanks for having me. No problem. For our chat. <laughs> no problem at all. And I, I'm, I'm always... Um, so relieved when the technology um, enables us to have a chat um, over such uh, big distances because I'm based here in the UK in Cornwall um, so it's really lovely to be able to to speak to you. Um, now I'm very excited actually to have a chat with you because you one of the ways that you work with photography is something that I've always had a love for. I haven't done an awful lot of it myself um, so I'm really looking forward to finding out a little bit more from yourself. And that's um, really around your, your passion for making pinhole cameras and actually making pinhole cameras that are entirely made, perhaps bar some tape, I think, um, from household waste items, um, which is a perfect eco-conscious way of, of creating photographic art. Um, what can you what can you tell me about your your sort of process of making these pinhole cameras then? So I got into pinhole photography this summer um, because of the lockdowns and um, because of my my probably my favorite form of photography is just going out on the street, taking walks, um, chatting to people, um, and this is lens photography as pinhole photographers call it. So photography using cameras with lenses. Um, but that was obviously less of an option and uh, I'm not so much into still life and the other kinds of photography that you can mm -hmm. do at home. So I started exploring um, alternative processes um, like lumen printing and anthotypes and things like that. So other, other forms of printing. Um, and that gradually led me to uh, pinhole photography. Um, and I think I like of DIY type projects in general. Um, but I don't have a whole lot of DIY skills, so I can't do uh, woodworking, for example, or I can't do um, uh, 3D printing. Um, okay. And um, some people make beautiful cameras out of woodworking, uh, and they make ingenious designs um, from 3D printers. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't really have the skills for that. Um, so I gravitated more towards you know, making cameras from things I already have at home, and that obviously has the benefit of being um, environmentally friendly because it's of a form of recycling or upcycling if you will yeah, so that that was kind of my road into it absolutely and it's um it, it's a lovely like you say a lovely way to um reuse uh, products that might 
normally just gets thrown away. So it's it's um rather than creating a new disposable camera, I don't know if you remember sort of um back, I think probably maybe the 80s 90s when disposable cameras were quite popular at weddings and etc but it's almost like you're making a from from something disposable you're making the camera and I really I really love that um, that's what you're doing and you have actually sent a photograph to me of some of I believe is it the cameras you've made so you have one with a a, a dry fruit cake tin yeah yeah that's right <laughs> Um, you've got some there with um, uh, camera canisters, which I guess is, is another way of, of making, reusing a plastic item, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not the best one. It's it's quite small. Um, uh -huh. So I made it as kind of a fun thing. It's, it's like a meta project, isn't it? Because it, it's like made from a thing which film comes in. Um, so that there's kind of a fun aspect to that, but as a camera, it's not so great because the size of the sensor, so to speak, is quite uh -huh. small. Um, like it has to fit into that um, into that canister, obviously. Um, yeah. But uh, it's a it's a fun project, and I mean, like you know, photography is not about getting the sharpest picture or the best quality, anyway. I mean, pinhole does have a wonderful ethereal quality, I think, to to the results. Um, if someone wasn't actually sure what we were talking about when we say a pinhole camera, could you just describe what you actually do when you um, create one of your cameras? Yeah, sure. Um, so a camera, like any camera, not just pinhole, is essentially a dark box. Uh, with a sensor behind it, right? And that sensor mm -hmm. can be a digital sensor that can be film. Um, it can be photographic paper, which I often use. And so that's paper made for uh, enlarging. So it's coated with a light sensitive emulsion. Um, mm -hmm. And it's generally made to print photos on, but since it's light sensitive, it can also be used for photography. Um, but yeah, so essentially it's, it's a box with light coming in through one end. Um, and forming an image on the other end, right? And that other end has something to record that image. So that's essentially what the camera is. Um, and a pinhole camera is um, similar. And you could say that pretty much anything else that's on a camera is like frills for convenience or improving the image <laughs> quality and all of that. Um, and a pinhole camera is essentially the same thing, except that um, you don't have a lens. Um, and instead of a lens, what you have is a tiny hole um, and light rays enter through that hole. So if you imagine a tree, um, a light ray from the top of that tree would enter the pinhole um, mm -hmm. and would form a corresponding point at the bottom of the sensor. Um, and another, another light ray from the bottom of the tree would enter through the light hole um, mm -hmm. and form an image point at the top of the sensor. So in this way, you have like multiple points on the tree being Im imaged at multiple points on the sensor, um, and you have um, a, 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 an inverted image formed on the sensor. Um, so yeah, that's that's essentially how it works. But um, because there's no um, because there's there's no lens and it's a very primitive design, the the for the quality of the image isn't as sharp as what you have in um, in, in in most lens cameras. Yeah, it has um, it does have sort of that sort of almost ghostly effect. I I would uh, a nice softer a softer feel to an image. So I guess yes, if you're after um perfectly 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 sharp in focus images, it might not be for you. <laughs> but um, and also I guess exposure times as well. So 
you with your pinholes have you um i think you've sent an image of um a beer can that you used once as well and that was to create a a solar graph so that's when you leave um the camera the exposure open for quite some time what what did you get results wise with that then um so i've seen um solar i've only just started on solar cans I've, okay I've mostly been doing um, sort of, um regular photography uh, solar can again for those who don't know is essentially a pinhole camera but it's pointed um, in a way that it captures the path of the sun um, and over multiple days so mm. it, it's typically for weeks months even years um, i think recently someone discovered uh, a camera in in the uk um, i think it was um, that someone had mounted on an ob observatory and forgotten about it yes. and they discovered it after eight years so there was like eight years worth of sun trails on the sensor so so that's like an extreme long exposure um, i've i've only done one so far um, it wasn't very good <laughs> um, but it was uh, it was a week uh, a week long um, experiment. Uh, I hadn't really oriented it in a way that it captured much of the sun's um, light. So I I kind of I um, I just sort of guesstimated it rather than doing more precise calculations. Um, yeah. And I just put it up on a tree, and then I realized it was facing in a direction where it was only capturing like a short part of the sun's path. Um, but it it works in uh, like I could see that it works in theory so if i orient it the right way i should be able to get an image um, and yeah i've seen like images made by exposures which are years long even so that's they, pretty cool they they can be incredibly beautiful can't they with the trails that they that the sun makes um so yeah i shall look forward to seeing what you what you um what you come up with with the the more you sort of uh the practice with it and uh, you know where you place the the camera when you're actually out and about then on the streets i mean often nowadays with smartphones people perhaps might be um uh, less less perturbed by someone walking around with a camera but what what do you find when you're using your pinholes then what do people does it spark conversations yeah yeah it definitely does um and I like taking photos of people, as I mentioned earlier, even with lens cameras. And um, pinhole isn't really the, so people aren't typically the subject of pinhole uh, mm. photos because the exposure times are so long. Um, and the, the pinhole is obviously tiny. So we are looking at, so if, if you're accustomed to using um, lens cameras, then the smallest aperture on your lens is probably f16 or f22. Mm -hmm. um, on the pinhole camera that I use most, uh, the aperture is about f175. So it's really, really small. Um, and it, that obviously means like longer exposure times. So uh, you have a lot of motion blur if things are moving around and so forth. But I still do like taking photos of people. So what I'll do is I'll go out in bright sunlight and explain mm. to people what it is I'm trying to do. Um, and yeah, that that really leads to some fun conversations. Um, there's, um, I, there's a fish market uh, near where I live. And um, one of the fishmongers, I took, a, I took a photo of him. And he said, can you give me an extra copy, please? I want to show it to my wife. Um, and um, <laughs> I said, well, if, if you're going to show it to your wife, then I'll, I'll you know, get a proper camera and take, take a nice photo because um, he'd seen other photos from my camera before because I've taken photos in this area a lot, yeah. um, not of him, but of others. So he knew what the image quality was like. So I said, you know, you can see you've seen 
um, that the images are, you know, they're black and white and they're yeah. blurry. Um, but he was like, no, 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 I want a photo from this camera, not not a regular photo. So oh, as you can see, there's like a certain fascination with the with the instrument and the process and all of that. Oh, that's and that's really got my impressions as well. Um, I was recently speaking to someone else who. Um, scared a stranger i think <laughs> because it's it's um depending on sort of how um how how um where you are uh, or like where where in the world or where mm-hmm. you are i think people can be a bit suspicious about yeah. fiddling with sort of homemade looking squarish devices <laughs> yeah, so there's like different uh, different experiences but yeah it's all fun so far Excellent. Um, and you saying that it, it's all fun. I, I have to say that I've actually um, on your Instagram account, I was actually really intrigued by your um, your your photograph of a horse with a pinhole camera. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I think that was um, a, a, a probably a fun experience for, for you, too. And you actually got caught on camera by your friend trying to take an image of a horse on a pinhole camera. <laughs> yeah, that that didn't work very well as, as you saw. It's just like a blur. Um, I was just uh, the horse had been kind of standing still. Uh, I calculated I'd need about a one minute exposure, and before that he was kind of standing still grazing. Um, so I thought I'd take a chance, but then he started sort of moving around. Maybe he got spooked by me placing the camera quite close to him. It's a very wide angle camera, so I had to yeah. go really close. If you saw the other photo which my friend took, I'm like placing it. Quite Very close to where he's grazing, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, but but um, yeah, ten out of a ten, ten for a, for attempt. So um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and like I think as well, Troy, on what you've also um um said to me um is is a is that with your photography, obviously the way that you reuse materials is um you know, part of sort of your sustainability and eco-conscious um, thinking around photography. But you're also, um, you also consider sort of water usage and, and sort of the, because that's something that in photography normally when you have to wash films or uh, paper prints, that you can actually, you know, water can just be on constantly and, and people will leave a tap running for, for you know, hours in so what do you do then to try and minimize that sort of around the water usage? Yeah, so um, I, I, um, I grew up in India and I, um, I lived so till about till I was about uh, 16, 17 years old, we always lived in uh, rented houses and we often had problems with water in general. Mm-hmm. So like sort of water conservation, not, not even necessarily for environmental reasons yeah. to begin <laughs> with, but just as a sort of day-to-day practical matter is, you know, hardwired into my thinking because um, we often had landlords who would only uh, switch on the pump. so we had an electric pump and they would only maybe switch it on once okay. once a day or and you had to make sure that you didn't use up your day's quota of water so that's something we think about all the time anyway mm. yeah. now we have um, we have our own flat but um, obviously it's still a good idea to use as little water as possible mm. um, the other thing is uh, we have a septic tank at home um, and I know that in in the UK, I, I, I lived in the UK for the last uh, 10, 10, 11 years or so. And if you look at Ilford's guidance, um, they say that you can um, 
uh, dispose of if you are only developing in small quantities mm. you can sort of dispose of certain chemicals um, down the sink on yeah. like that's ideally you would take it to a recycling center regardless but um, there at least what what their information says and i don't mm. know anything more to contradict that is to um, is that household quantities of developing are typically not a problem but it is if you live um, on a septic tank where yes. it's not sort of a large scale um, industrial strength effluent treatment mechanism right? um, so that's that's another thing that's always at the back of my mind of disposal so even sort of relatively small quantities of benign chemicals i don't mm. put them in the septic tank because um, they can mess with the bacteria that are essential to the functioning of the septic tank itself um, and yeah in in general i'll i'll try and um, so if i'm washing um, just um, chemicals uh, if i'm washing film and i know that it only has uh, trace amounts of water in it rather mm -hmm. than pour it down the sink i'll um, pour it in a bucket and then i can use it for you know uh, cleaning or flushing yes. the toilet and things like that um, so that's kind of a way to save it i've also been using the ilford method of washing which i think is sort of less water intensive where you so this is for film uh, mm -hmm. where you just agitate um, five times and then 10 times and then 20 times so you, you're refilling the tank three times as opposed to sort of having a constant flow yes. of water running through it so yeah that's a different way than trying to yeah. uh, minimize consumption and there's there's obviously like a limit in a there's an argument to be made that sort of any photography or pretty much any non-essential pursuit for that matter will have a carbon footprint and will have some environmental impact but i think like it's it's not really realistic to say you should stop stop everything and yeah. only <laughs> only sort of back to the trees kind of um, philosophy but it's more about sort of having a relatively fulfilling life but um, at the same time trying to minimize our impact and um, trying trying to use resources in a sustainable way absolutely and like like you say it's it's um part of this sort of podcast is, is having these conversations and just if someone hasn't thought about it before if it just makes someone think about perhaps the ways they uh, they're using say for instance water what could they do differently that might um reuse that water i mean you know we sort of encouraging people um here in the uk they might not think very often that there's potential for drought but actually you you can there can be times when there's low water levels not compared maybe to other places but um you know so people would be encouraged not to water the garden so to have a rain mm. bus in the garden all of these sorts of things so there's there's lots of i guess different ways that you can um like you know whatever your hobby is yeah having a sort of a, a consciousness about sort of um environmental impacts but at the same time very much like you said um, there's a balance and a compromise because you, you we still want to be creative we still want to do the things that that we love and and that make life um you know um, interesting and uh, all of those things so yeah it's just really lovely to hear that people um are are thinking about these things in relation to photography um and I think one of the things that uh, also intrigued me is because I share your love as well for this is is a love of vintage cameras. Um, um, but I believe that if you ever get the urge to go and buy a vintage camera, you would sometimes think about making a pinhole camera instead. Is that right? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've um, I've kind of I think um, 
um, I think right right now I'm at a point where I feel like I don't need um, any more vintage cameras, which <laughs> maybe like, seems like an alien concept to some people I know in, uh, through Facebook groups and so forth. But I've got about um, six um, yeah. and I find I, I actually don't use one of them, which is yeah. a really nice camera, Roli 35, uh, but I don't use it much. Um, so I'm thinking of selling that also because um, seems like it's um, it's it's a shame to keep such a nice camera just for the you know for the pleasure of looking at it and occasionally <laughs> like taking it out like once in two years or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, but I think like about uh, around last year um, there were a couple of times when um, I I remember sort of being um, when I when I got into uh, pinhole photography uh, there were there were times when I was sort of more focused on uh, on pinhole photography and that has kept me from thinking about what's the next camera I want or what's the next uh, lens I want because or or well it, it if it's it's more like if if it's a pinhole camera I want I can just make it at home and if it's mm -hmm. a, um, if it's a vintage camera then um, I'll, I'd be searching on eBay or something. So uh, pinhole cameras were keeping me occupied in that sense. And uh, maybe you're familiar with this too, but there's often a tendency for um, those of us that are into vintage um, cameras, we are sort of uh, taking a break in the middle of work, just go on to eBay and you know look through different mm -hmm. listings of cameras we're interested in. Um, so this is kind of a nice, nice distraction from that. Um, and I feel like I can make as many as I like without sort of the Maybe guilt is too strong a word, but you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, without you know, the guilt of owning more cameras than I use <laughs> or than I need. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it can actually get quite addictive. I think to sometimes. Um. Yeah. When a uh, vintage cameras are, are are beautiful objects, but yes, you you probably dare I say it, you could probably have one too many. I'll probably get um, in trouble for saying that, but yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um. Yeah, I definitely have one too many. Yeah. <laughs> Now you you actually also write for some photography websites as as well, um, which I'd love to have a little chat more about um, with you. Um, and it's thirty five MMC, and um, you also the casual photo file. Are those are those correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I write for both of those. Yeah. So how did you? Because my last. Um, uh, podcast was, was with Holly who also um, writes for 35MNC so how did you get involved with the, the website and and what sort of things do you actually like to write about um, in particular if, if anything in particular? Um, so I'll, I'll answer your second question first it's, it's really varied um, I've written about uh, pinhole photography I've got a whole series called uh, my pinhole adventures um, so it started out, I started out, I think, calling it my pinhole journey, but then adventures felt like a more accurate <laughs> description because it felt very exciting and new, so I changed it. Uh, I've got, I think, like five or six parts in that, so it's just like when I discover something. So there's like one part which is about making cameras, one is about the optimal pinhole size, um, one is an interview of um, a few pinhole photographers, which I did recently for um, World Pinhole Day. So there's a World Pinhole Day for those who are not aware, and that was yeah. the last Sunday of April. Um, so I did an interview of some other photographers for that. Um, so yeah, some of it is pinhole related. Um, then I do like um, camera reviews, um, alternative processes, darkroom, 
Yeah, just it's most more analog focused, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a variety of topics. I do more um, gear reviews of camera reviews, lens reviews, even a couple of book reviews uh, for casual photophile. And for um, 35 MMC, it's more um, of the ex- exploratory stuff or um, it's, it's not exactly tutorials. It's more about like what um, things that I'm finding and mm-hmm. then people can kind of follow along with the journey and they can find something that's of, of benefit to them, that, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, about how I got involved, um, I wrote um, one article a really long time ago for 35 MMC in 2018 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I sort of, I, I've been taking um, film photographs for a while, but I sort of got more interested in other cameras. So I just had like one film camera and I was just only using that for many years and not really interested in the gear side of it. Um, and then I bought uh, one or two other cameras and I thought I'd write a review of a, um, like a short review article, like a mini review. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I didn't write anything again for like two years or so. And then and during the lockdowns, I um, started writing the, um, the Darkroom series. Um, and then Hamish, who runs uh, 35MC, asked me if I'd like to have like a, you know, a of semi-formal role on the mm-hmm. website team. Um, and my formal role is actually, I, I still write, but my main role is actually finding um, contributors for 35MMC. Um, so like people with quite diverse interests, um, because traditionally it's been quite gear focused, but um, okay. Hamish knows that I'm interested in these um, alternative techniques and yes. uh, sort of more artistic, creative work. Not that there's anything wrong with gear, like, use myself and I read yes. but um, there's just to bring sort of more variety and uh, wider appeal for different kinds of audiences perhaps um, and I I actually introduced Holly to image so I, I think I found Holly's Instagram or something and um, I I like what I saw so I asked her if she'd Brilliant. like to contribute an article and then she contributed one and then she contributed another and then um, she was gradually drafted into the team brilliant yeah that that's fantastic and this this might be um uh, quite a a, not a difficult question but so given that um we've spoken quite a lot about your your sort of love for um pinhole cameras and your last article was around world pinhole um photography day um but you've also got this interest in other analog processes or traditional um historic um alternative uh, processes um would you be able to choose a favorite do you think or do you is it very much that um it, they all have their individual um uh styles that you that draw you to them yeah i mean it's 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 a it's a tough one as you say um i'd um i'd probably i i'd, I'd yeah i'd definitely say that they all have appeal to me in different ways and to maybe even different aspects of my personality and interests. Um, if I had to pick just one type of photography, um, I'd, maybe it's an unexpected answer, but I'd probably stick with digital. <laughs> unexpected <laughs> also a boring answer, but yeah, I'd, I'd probably stick with that because um, it's it's incredibly versatile. Um, and this, but um, I was I was actually listening to a 
Well, I, I didn't listen. So this was a Spanish interview um, of two pinhole photographers. And my friend who's Spanish um, listened to the interview and translated bits of it for me. Um, uh, I'm, I'm learning Spanish, but I'm definitely not at the level where I can follow a podcast. Um, yes. And one of the things they said, which I really liked, is that we are so lucky at this point in history um, to have access to... 150 years worth of uh, mm. photographic history and processes and be able to pick any of them and or all of them um, time permitting and just do whatever suits our creative needs because I can think of a world maybe like 200 years later when you when certain forms of photography just can't be practiced because you don't have the materials or yeah. you would have to go to like insane lengths to get uh, get um, I don't know um, the the chemicals for uh, platinum printing, for example, right? But yes. at this point, you have I think we have access to pretty much all the photographic processes that have been devised throughout history, and at the same time, we have access to sort of the cutting edge digital stuff as well. So I think we are incredibly lucky um, in in that sense, and um, I'm I'm lucky to be to be interested in of these different forms of uh, photography because as i was saying and as as you suggested they all kind of bring something else to the table yes yeah i think i'm a little bit like you i mean if if i was pushed and someone said to me which which process would you not not want to live without i mean uh, i think it would it would be very difficult to choose at the moment i'd probably um well no i don't know if i could choose because i i, I sort of tend to mix unfixed lumens but then scan the scan those images in and apply um, digital uh, manipulation techniques to them. So, oh, yeah, I think you'd be allowed to do that. That's that's okay. I think. <laughs> yeah, just um, yeah. So scanning is okay, let's say, but not um, not digital photography itself. <laughs> so I'll allow you that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, I'm also one of the things that I, I I wonder if it does have an impact on um your photography or has it had an impact on your photography and your interest in photography is that you've um it's, I think it's relatively recently you you gained your PhD in environmental law. Now, it's almost like the question um chicken or egg what came first so did photography a love of photography come first or in environmental issues or how does that phd relate to your photography or your interest in in environmental um matters then yeah i um, i was interested i'd probably say interest in the environment more broadly probably came first um, because <laughs> i liked animals um even when i was a little kid um, I liked animals and being in nature and plants and um, things like that. Um, and I used to work in a law firm. Um, so I graduated in 2009 and then I moved to London to work in a law firm. Um, and I worked there for a couple of years, but then I realized I was sort of more interested A, in research and B, in something sort of directly connected to the environment. And that's why I um, decided to switch um, switch careers um, mm -hmm. in a way, so I quit my law firm job and I, um, I, I did a did a master's at LSE and then a PhD subsequently. Um, so yeah, I've I've also been interested in photography for a long time, but I think um, I didn't connect the two. Um, mm -hmm. But obviously, like when um, when when I got into photography as a teenager in like a 
early 2000s late late 90s maybe um i wasn't i maybe didn't have the degree of environmental consciousness that teenagers do even now mm-hmm. like it's it's not it's not a huge gap in time but i think the amount of, sort of environmental and social awareness that teenagers have is a lot higher like i teach um undergraduate yeah. students now and um, i definitely wasn't this socially aware when i was an undergraduate myself sort of uh, 20 years ago um, yeah So yeah that's um that's definitely something um that's changed um so I didn't um didn't necessarily connect the two but then obviously like um slowly you start to realize about your personal carbon footprint and e-waste and all of those things and the effect of consumerism um so I think I've been in, interested in photography and the environment sort of independently but um yeah. at some point obviously the interest converges and you start thinking about how one relates to the other i really i got really into beekeeping when i was uh, doing my phd um so we have urban beehives on the roof of one of the lse buildings and i became, oh fantastic um president of the lse beekeeping society brilliant <laughs> so, so um my 15 minutes of fame um Yay. and um that that's again like something that's connected to the environment so i i find that for one way or the other um a lot of my interests somehow seem to be tied into my interest in the environment more broadly yeah 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 definitely and i'm i i love the i love the fact that you're uh, you're you're interested in beekeeping um yeah uh, my 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 husband is hopefully going to be um keeping some bees at our allotment but um i'll i'll let you know if that ever oh, happens that's exciting but, yes please yeah. do definitely definitely um it's lovely to hear that that you you do that too um now one question i like to ask everyone before we sort of um we we finish and there's no right right or wrong answer um but it really is around um in relation to photography obviously like you mentioned yourself the the sort of hundreds of years that photography since photography was invented and has been in use um and we we perhaps take it for granted in everyday life um uh you know it 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 really does have a huge influence on us whether we perhaps are aware of it or or not um but what do you think photography can actually do to possibly um improve environmental issues how do you think um it can make a difference what do you think photography does to support sustainable um living yeah that's it's a really interesting question i think um of the we've talked a lot about sort of the technical stuff um behind uh, pinholes and photography more generally but i mean um ultimately i think one of the key ways in which photography adds or photographers for that matter can add value to society is um just by um bearing witness so mm. to speak and um i think um images have such power don't they so like the mm. image of the the pale blue the famous pale blue dot uh photograph for example of earth from space um yes. the way they that the the way that the sort of impact that can have on the human psyche or um i remember as as a kid i was like barely one of my first memories probably i don't know i was like maybe 5 or 6 years old in the early 90s um when there was the gulf oil spill and i remember seeing mm-hmm. photographs of um like i i don't remember which specific oil spill it was but there was one in the arabian gulf and i remember seeing um 
photographs of cormorants uh, floundering in oil, and mm, yeah. those have um, like such such power, even though like at the time they may be disturbing. So I think mm. that's really sort of the the content or the sub substantive part of photography more so than the processes we are talking about. Obviously, like yes. we do have a duty as photographers or even as citizens of the world to minimize our environmental impact. But I think one way that photography can really make a change is by drawing attention to these um, issues, environmental um, issues, human rights, inequality, property, a lot of, lot of things. Um, and mm. yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, I, um, I, um, I've like not mm. really done as much of that as I would like. Um, I've, I've gone to some environmental protests and I've taken photos there, but that's like, not, not really a big thing, but that's definitely something I'd like to think about. And um, I'm thinking about applying for a, for an artist's grant um, here in India. And okay. um, I obviously don't know what's, what's going to happen uh, yeah. because it's a very competitive grant and all of that. But um, the, the thing I want to work on is um, water shortages in, in that specific part of the country. So so that that, that way I'm trying to um, take the environmental consciousness part of it and reflect it not just in the way I practice photography but also in like what I photograph and what I do with the photographs yeah yeah I'd really like to if, if that if um you know if that uh, happens for you um do do let me know and um it'd be lovely to be able to, to share sort of um you know any sort of images of of, of that uh, for you or talk about that in the future um, if uh, people are listening in and they do actually want to find out more about you and, and where they could perhaps either see some of your work or um, find out, you know, sort of the articles that you've written, where are the best places that people can can go to to, to find you? Um, so I write for this website, 35mmc.com, um, um, which is a UK-based website. And for another website called Casual Photofile, which is a US-based website. So if you, um, there are really good websites in general. So I'd recommend checking them out, um, regardless of whether you want to see my work or not. Mm -hmm. There's like work by better photographers and better writers out there. But if you want to see my work specifically, they have like author pages, or you can just do a search on the website for my name, uh, my first name, Sroyan, S-R-O-Y-O-N, um, and you'll, you'll see my articles. Um, I also have an Instagram. Um, it's called uh, Midtone Gray. So the English, uh, English way to spell gray. Um, and usually at the top, um, I have links to my latest articles, so you can also find my articles there. I don't update my Instagram as often as I, as I probably should, but uh, <laughs> since I've, I've been on Photopocene just now and we've talked about uh, pinhole photography, I'll try and upload some, uh, some pinhole images in the next few days. Uh, and then hopefully by the time the podcast goes live, there'll be a few more for you to see. Oh, that's fantastic. It'll be, um, it'll be lovely. I'll, I shall um, put all of the links for you into the podcast um, text as well. So people will be able to click through and, and, and find you hope, um, easily. And, um, definitely um, keep an eye out on your Instagram as well. Um, but I just want to say a, a really huge thank you, Shroyan, for taking the time out um, to chat with me. Um, 
and um yeah i've really really sort of loved loved sort of finding out a little bit more and um i'm hoping in a way it might actually inspire some people to look sort of look at the pinhole photography element i mean like you say there's a world pinhole photography day there's obviously a lot of people out there who who were really keen on on pinhole photography and um seeing what you've done you know it's really fascinating and there is so much you could you can get out of it i think um so so yes yeah, so thank you once again i've, I've really had a, a lovely time chatting with you and i hope you've enjoyed it as well thank you so much Josie. yes i i really enjoyed it um yeah thanks um i'm relatively new to pinhole myself but it's it's really nice to you know um talk about my interests and hopefully get other people interested as well so yeah i do hope some people uh, who are new to pinhole look it up and maybe some of you will give it a try as well brilliant thank you shroy and thank you very much thank you josie thanks for having me a huge thank you to shroyong for taking the time to chat I hope it has inspired you to try your hand at pinhole photography. I'm off to see what I can use from the kitchen as a pinhole camera. And you can visit 35mmc.com or casualphotofile.com to read Troyon's articles, or you can follow him on Instagram at Midtone Grey. All the links will be in the podcast text too. And if you'd like to take part in the photo posting podcast, contact me via Josie at josiepurcellphotography.com. Take care and I'll hope you'll stop by again soon.